T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. It's not Esme Murphy on this Saturday night. Lindsay Gensel from the Chad Hartman Show. I guess, though, if we're going back in time when I started here at WCCO Radio in November of 2015, I was a part-time reporter in the newsroom. And then when the very lovely Kelly Jordan departed this building and left the position open on Chad's show as his producer, I was very lucky to get to step in and spend some time with those crazy gentlemen from noon to three, Monday through Friday. So yes, Lindsay Gensel in for Esme Murphy this evening. Jonathan Lowe, the lovely gentleman behind the board. If I had wait, to do wait, my, my, I'm, I'm sorry. Who, who, who are you? Oh, who, who, throwing who you? shade. I, I do not. This, you are sitting in a seat that is not where I normally see you at. So I know. I, I, you're I have lo- to question. Well, we. If the, are you are you Esme in disguise? Or is this- I'm a little bit too tall to be Esme in disguise. <laughs> no offense, Esme, if you're listening. Uh, a little behind-the-scenes story. So when Esme's in this chair on Saturday nights, as she normally is, she records a promo for her Sunday morning TV show. And she has to go and get some crates to stand on. Because she has to get a little help. She has to get a little height there. Yes. Well, welcome to the, to the host chair. This is, uh, this is a new adventure. And... Uh, Hopefully, the maiden voyage will will be very successful. Very smooth, smooth sailing. I, I'm I'm just taking uh, no responsibility right now for any mess ups or screw ups on this show. Um, I am just. You got to say it faster if it's going to be the disclaimer, oh, the disclaimer at the end of the, comer- the, I, end of the commercial. I can't talk. I can't talk like the old micro machine man. I can't. I wish I could, but I cannot. Well, I got to tell you, if I was going to do my first show on WCCO with anyone back there running the board, I'm very glad it's you. And I have fooled another one, folks. <laughs> I have fooled no. another one. You are very good at what you do, and you're fun to be around. So, whew, in all honesty, I, I wasn't really nervous until about 5.50 when I started going, oh, my goodness. And, and it's a good thing to be nervous, as you said, because it means that you care. This is what I've always wanted to do, is I've always wanted to host, to entertain, to inform, and to get to do it on such an iconic station. A, a quick story. I've gotten to do some cool things in my career. We actually years ago met at the All-Star Game in Kansas City. But I will say of all the things I've I've called my father to tell him, calling him to tell him that I was joining the staff at WCCO Radio was probably the uh, the highlight so far. So I can only go up from here. This is this is not a, a, a stopping point, but I, I'm very excited to be here. So thanks for joining us on God, a gorgeous Saturday, Top 10 Weather Day. So the uh, weather watcher over there is glowing gold, which is great. But to get in the mood, you know, one of the things I was thinking of is I've, I've never hosted at this station before. So I'm in a totally new situation. I'm filling very big shoes with Esme Murphy. And so like any good millennial, when you're looking for help, I went to the Internet because that's what you you do. And I I did some research looking for, you know, advice when you're in a new situation. And, and I found the, the perfect guest. For my first show, and I'm so excited he's going to be joining us, Dr. Keith Rolog. He's a professor at Babson College in Massachusetts, and he wrote this book, and this is where I found him. It's called What to Do When You're New, How to Be Comfortable 
confident, and successful in new situations. And he's been studying this for a very long time. Keith, I'm bringing you into this conversation, and I probably shouldn't admit this, but since it's my first time fully hosting on WCCO, I'm I'm a little bit nervous. But this is this is your specialty, helping someone in a new situation. Uh, yeah, well, you're doing a terrific job, so <laughs> uh, I think you should be proud of what's 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 transpired. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, there is something about when you're you're new or you're especially because this is what I want to do for a career, and I'm given this opportunity. And you don't want to blow it. So what is it about someone stepping into a new situation? Why is it so terrifying? Well, I mean, part of it is that we're, we're hardwired to be nervous about it. I mean, for much of human history, uh, being in a new situation was typically dangerous um, because you usually found yourself, or when you encountered a stranger, you were either encroaching on their territory or you were encroaching on theirs. So we've, we've been hardwired to be anxious and nervous in new situations because that primed us to survive better than, um, you know, being less aware of our surroundings. So I think part of it is this normal. Um, the other part is, is that a lot of us approach new situations with what's, what researchers often call a performing mindset. We, we think about it as this great performance on a social stage. And with that mindset, it puts a lot of pressure on us because we, we fear failure, we fear rejection, as opposed to you know, seeing it as sort of an exciting new learning opportunity, which is, tends to produce a lot less stress. Um, but again, I think in many ways, and, and in talking with a lot of people, I found that, that we're just, it's, it's completely normal to feel nervous in new situations, and yet for many people, it's enough of an anxiety that they never try to put themselves in new situations in the first place. You've been studying this for 20-plus years, and, and most of your work has been done in the workplace. Let's go back. You know, what was it that drew you to specialize in this? Well, I mean, I, I guess I'm probably like everyone. Um, I have often gotten nervous in new situations and found myself walking away from situations that, and kicking myself that I didn't really take advantage of them. Um, and that got me interested in the, in the whole world and the science of it. So I've been talking and doing research in this area. And, um, and as I said, I found in many cases people tend to avoid the very things they really want out of life, not because they um, you know, don't have the time or the motivation to do it, but they just don't want to be that new person. So in my research, I've tried to understand what's the difference between those people that seem to be comfortable going into new situations and take advantage of all the opportunities that come their way and what is and the people that are reluctant tend to stay home more likely to watch TV than to go to that particular event and then later come to regret it one of the things you talk a lot about is networking and kind of this idea of being put into a new crowd of people and and how to introduce yourself and and make connections and really I mean, in all honesty, we live in a society now where who you know really does matter. I mean, for me personally, a lot of the opportunities that I've been given as a broadcast journalist have been because someone could get my foot in the door. And so I think there's a lot of pressure on people in those first impression situations where you worry that, oh, my gosh, what did I do? Yeah, exactly. In fact, when when you're looking at specifically introductions, um, I found that there's a number of things that, and it, it's, for, it's different for different people. What you've just mentioned, one, is that 
we, we worry so much about first impressions. We've heard that people will judge us within the first 30 seconds of meeting us, and, of course, that puts enormous pressure on our ability to say the right thing at the right time when we first meet them. For others, it's just the intrusion. They, they, they just don't want to go up and bother somebody. They feel like they, they can't use up their time. For others, it's the performance, and they're anxious just about how the conversation's going to go. And then finally, we all have that sort of natural fear of rejection. We're afraid that that person's going to somehow um, you know, reject us, uh, even though in, in this modern society, the, the real cost of a social rejection is pretty small. But you're right. Uh, everything is built on relationships these days. And if we're not willing and comfortable making those connections, making those introductions, and building those relationships, we really are giving ourselves the opportunities that may come our way that, that um, will really make the difference. You have three skills that you say humans aren't mastering, and I want to get to those in a second, but I want to go back to what you were talking about, about rejection, because this is something that I struggle with. I'm an incredibly outgoing person, but I'm also a huge introvert, and I hate anything that I deem to be um, confrontational. So if I think someone's going to tell me no, you know, everyone always used to tell me, oh, you'd be so good in sales. You're so good at presenting yourself. But the second someone says no to me, I close up. I am I'm done. I have to I have to get away and kind of hold myself up and so I'm I'm working out of that the older I get. But what are some things for someone who is afraid of rejection or is afraid of saying no or is just afraid of being vulnerable, which is is such a huge part of being a human? Are are there any tactics or, you know, training lessons that you use to help someone with that? Yeah, I mean the first the first thing um, to realize is that it's normal. Um, again, it's we're we're hardwired to fear rejection. Um, you know, and in reality, is long ago, rejection was a big deal. If we got kicked out of our hunter gatherer group on the savanna, you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago, it was practically a death sentence because it's really hard to survive on your own. And so we have that natural fear of rejection. What's different now is that being rejected in our, most of our social situations, just really isn't that much of a big deal. You know, if we, somebody just doesn't want to be our friend, we can find somebody else. And yet that, that gut-wrenching fear that you describe is still within us. I think in terms of um, help learning to push past that fear, um, the first thing is to, again, really ask yourself, what's the worst that can happen? And usually our brain's and, and more specifically, those glands inside our head are reacting far more strongly than the situation demands. And then the other part is, is to remind yourself after the interaction, well, how did it go? And in most cases, probably 95% of most cases, when we approach somebody, when we take a risk, things go a whole lot better than our fears were. And it's learning from that. It's reflecting on that and saying, hey, yeah, you're right. Uh, so that the next time we go into that situation, we're a little more confident and we're, we understand that the risk is a lot less than we think. And then over time, you get better. As you said, a lot of, um, some people attribute it to, oh, I'm an introvert, so I'm just not going to be good at this. But the reality is I've interviewed lots of introverts who have developed terrific social skills. It may not be something they want to do, you know, uh, 12 hours a day, um, but they become comfortable enough that they can build those relationships that make that difference in their lives. 
I'm Lindsay Gensel. I'm filling in for Esme Murphy on this Saturday night. We have Dr. Keith Rolog with us. He's a professor from Babson College in Massachusetts. And he also wrote this book that I stumbled upon in my research called What to Do When You're New. When we come back, we're going to look at the three skills that we aren't mastering when it comes to meeting new people and, and getting ahead in the workplace. That's here on WCCO. Welcome back to WCCO. I'm Lindsay Gensel from the Chad Hartman Show, filling in for Esme Murphy on this Saturday night. This is a statistic that I think is so true, and I, I need to ask our, our guest about it. More than 80% of people admit they're bad at recalling names. Now, I personally think that there is some laziness in this. Because remembering a name after you meet someone the first time is very difficult. Let's bring Dr. Keith Rolog back into the conversation. He has studied what to do when you're in a new situation for over 20 years. And he says there's three skills that we aren't mastering. One of them is actually remembering people's names. Am I right in, in saying that there's some laziness attached to this? Yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily call it laziness, but I maybe call it lack of mindfulness. In other words, we know that it's important to remember names. We know that when we don't remember somebody's name, it, it makes the next time we see them really awkward. We know if we do remember their names, it actually makes a really good second impression because it shows that we paid attention to them and, uh, in the first place. But I think most of the people I've interviewed, with a few exceptions, just wonder why their brains are so defective in that they often, five seconds after they hear a name, can't remember it. Um, it is potentially a little bit of laziness, but a lot of it is just the, the heat of the moment. We've sort of developed a habit of really not paying attention to that name when it's told us or get comfortable asking for that name a second or third time. Well, and I've got to imagine that sometimes it's, you know, you get introduced to someone and then your brain's already moving to, okay, what's my next question or what's the next thing I'm going to say? Yeah, I mean, well, and also just think of it. The first time you hear that name is usually during the handshake. So you've got the handshake going on. You're already trying to think about what your next question, next interaction is. You're still processing what happened before that. And then you add in general anxiety and nervousness, and it's a perfect recipe for not really paying attention to that one second in your interaction with somebody where, you, where that name occurs. Um, so it's not surprising then that um, we aren't paying attention. And researchers have found that in over half the cases when we can't remember a name, it was because we didn't really hear and pay attention to it in the first place. Well, that's one of the points you make when you talk about introducing yourself, the idea that you should make the other person feel heard, valued, and respected. We've all been in that situation where you either feel rushed or that it wasn't genuine. And when you're trying to make a good first impression or you're trying to network or you're trying to get ahead and work or you know gain new opportunities, I have to imagine being a genuine person in that interaction is a huge part of it. Exactly. You know, the, the, the secret to a, a good first impression is not to try to impress somebody. Um, and, and unfortunately, in the uh, heat of the moment or in the desire for a particular relationship to work or to be developed, we then end up either doing one of two things. We end up spending too much time talking about ourselves, trying to impress that person, which, of course, does the opposite, because then you either come off as arrogant or you bore the other person to death. Or we don't say enough out of fear of making a bad first impression um, and then coming off as either being aloof 
or not interested in the other person. So it's the, the key around making first, good first impressions is not about impressing, but to what degree do you give that other person energy? Do they gain energy by talking with you as opposed to you sucking the life out of them during the conversation? Keith Rolog is our guest tonight on WCCO Radio. Again, I said uh, his book that came out is called What to Do When You're New, How to Be Comfortable, Competent, and Successful in New Situations. And if you want to find more information about it, you can do so at whenyourenew.com. The last of the three skills that you say we aren't mastering is asking questions. Now, if you've just met someone, there's obviously the easy icebreaker questions. But let's pretend for a second that I'm going to a conference and there's a speaker that I am incredibly interested in meeting or someone who works in my field that I think would be a beneficial contact for me to have. What are some tips that you give people about asking, not to reuse the word, but asking genuine questions or coming up with things maybe on the spot that aren't just, you know, how's your summer going? Right. Well, obviously, it's important to really understand what it is that you really want to know and that you truly, really want to know this, as opposed to, I just want to talk to this person. So being clear about what it is that you're asking is important. Um, but I think what I've found is that a lot of people, it's, it's simply the act of approaching somebody and asking that question that, ter- that causes them not to do it. And it's, uh, again, an, important to realize that the social risk of asking questions is a lot less than we think. And we often forget that, the other person actually gains something by answering the question. Um, so that speaker that you, you mentioned that you would like to go talk to, in many cases, they, like most of us, like to answer questions um, and then probably would like to answer genuine questions more than, than the, you know, how was your summer kind of question. So a lot of it is sort of getting past the self-talk in our brains that causes not to go ask that question um, and then just simply be clear about the question. Don't ask a million questions one after another. Give them a chance to answer um, and thank them for the opportunity. You've been studying this for 20 plus years. You've written a book. You've written numerous papers about it and you teach your students about this. What is the one thing though that stands out to you as being the most surprising when you hear how uncomfortable people are in new situations? Well, I think probably the biggest one is that a lot of people feel like there's something wrong with them because they're they're reluctant to put themselves out there in new situations. Um, and they wonder, you know, I, all of us have been and introduced, we've interacted with strangers, we've met new people thousands of times. And you would think that we would have been good at it um, after thousands of times of practice. But the reality is, is we're hardwired not to um, necessarily be completely comfortable. And so in my talks with people in the workshops that I do, it's, it's helping people understand that it's normal and that if you are mindful about it and you really uh, sort of explore how much risk you're taking, that you can kind of really train your brain to overcome some of those natural impulses and more comfortable. And I've worked with a lot of people who have gone from just not wanting to get out of the house to being comfortable, um, you know, introducing themselves, asking questions, and really putting themselves into those opportunities that they really want, whether it's a new job or a new hobby or a new club or an organization or a new church, whatever it is that makes life more interesting and more fun. Well, and I'm a believer that you can learn at any point in life and, and you should be learning all through life. And, and this is really something that 
is for all ages. You know, you're changing jobs, heading off to school, joining a new group, you know, even just moving to a new city and, and finding people to spend time with. This is something that everyone can benefit from. Sure. And if you think about it, think through how many more thousands of times will we all find ourselves in new situations. And if you could reduce that anxiety just a little bit, the difference that will make in your life for the rest of your life uh, in terms of taking advantage of life's opportunities that come along. Dr. Keith Rolog, a huge thank you for being my first guest on WCCO Radio. I know I can definitely use some of these tips in the future, but you did help calm the nerves this evening. If you want to find out more information about Keith's work, you can visit whenyourenew.com. Keith, thank you so much for joining me on the Saturday night. Thank you. Thanks for being there. Coming up on WCCO, we're going to get a check of your weather with WCCO meteorologist Molly Rosenblatt. And our next guest, a really scary study from the American Cancer Society, says adults in the United States are dying from colon and rectal cancers at an increasingly rate when they hit the age 50. Well, that's when they should just be beginning the screenings. We're going to get some more information on that coming up next on WCC. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Lindsay Gensel in for Esme Murphy this evening. Before I bring our next guest into the conversation, I want to pull back the curtain a little bit on kind of life Behind the scenes here at WCCO Radio, most of you may know that I'm the producer for the Chad Hartman Show. And so one of the things that I have to do every week is, is find guests, is to find news stories, to find things that I think are topical, that I think our listeners want to hear about. And so every producer has their own set of resources, their own list of contacts. And one of mine is Crystal Barbour. She works over at the University of Minnesota. And so every week I send her an email and I say, I'm just checking in. What do you got? Any Anything big happening over at the University of Minnesota that I should know about? And, and Crystal specializes on the health side of things. So she always sends me really interesting stories. A lot of them are, I would say sad. Not sad. That's not the right word. But, you know, uh, medical field, there's a lot of scary stories. But at the University of Minnesota, there's also a lot of successful stories. This headline, though, really stuck with me. Coming from CNN just a few months ago, Born in the 90s, your colon cancer risk could be rising. Now, I wasn't born in the 90s, but I was born close enough into the 90s that I was caught off guard by this because I think all of us, when we think of colon cancer, we think of older people. So I want to bring our next guest into the conversation because a really interesting study just came out that basically wiped all of that away. Dr. Robert Madoff is with the University of Minnesota. He's a colon and rectal surgeon. Dr. Madoff, thank you so much for taking some time to join us this Saturday evening. Nice to be here, Lindsay. So what Crystal sent me and what really caught my eye was this quote. A recent study from the American Cancer Society says adults in the United States are dying from colon and rectal cancers at an increasing rate about age 50. That's when they should just be beginning screenings. For you, someone who deals with this all the time, what was the most surprising thing that stood out for you on this study? Well, it's actually not completely a surprise. We've known for the last number of years that the incidence, the number of new cases of colorectal cancer has been rising in young people. Um, and what this new study shows is actually... Uh, a further analysis of those data, and it shows that not only is the incidence rising, 
uh, but the mortality rate in that group, uh, exclusively in young people less than age 55, has also been on the rise. And in fact, if you parse the data a little bit more, it's particularly on the rise uh, in white Americans, not so much in African Americans. In one of the articles from CNN that I read, it it talked about this, another uh, uh, doctor in your field, Dr. James Church, who works out in Ohio, and he said he found uh, on two separate occasions, he met with two 36-year-old men who had stage four colon cancer. In your work at the university, are you are you seeing this on a, on a daily basis? There's no question that we are seeing an increased number of colon cancer and rectal cancer, so those are slightly different cancers, uh, but both of those rates have been increasing, uh, and to some extent, uh, fairly dramatically. If the screen... in, and, and that's in contrast, just to be clear, Lindsay, uh, that is only in people less than age 55. The general trend for colorectal cancer in the United States has been a tremendous success story with screening. So for the rest of the population, the incidence has been going down and the death rate has been going down really quite dramatically since the 1970s and 80s. When we talk about an, an average human who has just an average bill of health, when should they start being concerned about getting in for a screening? The average person is age 50, but there are a few caveats with that. The first one is that African Americans have a higher risk of colorectal cancer so that they're actually recommended to start their colorectal cancer screening, typically a colonoscopy at age 45. Um, the other thing is that there are conditions that predispose to colorectal cancer. People that have previously had polyps or previously had colorectal cancers are at increased risk. People with a family history of colorectal cancer, particularly in multiple relatives or uh, relatives in their immediate family that have had big polyps, um, uh, patients that have inflammatory bowel disease, these individuals have an increased risk and need earlier and more frequent screening. It's obviously not a fun conversation to have. There's definitely a, a sense of taboo when you're talking about colon and rectal cancers. But from your perspective, what is the most important thing that we can be doing every day, every week, every month, every time we go and visit our doctor for just a regular checkup to make sure that we're, we're taking the right steps moving forward? Well, I think there's a few things uh, that specifically relate to this study. The first thing is that you should get your screening on time. So a lot of people, the screening rates have gone up steadily over the last uh, several decades. Uh, individuals know I think the taboo has largely gone away, and I think individuals are pretty good about getting screening by and large. Uh, but often they'll delay it a number of years and show up at age 55 or 60. And with these new data about the earlier onset of cancers, they should show up. I think the second important message is that for people that are actually having symptoms, so screening is just asymptomatic people. You turn 50, it's your birthday, have your party, and then go get your colonoscopy. Uh, the second issue is that people that have symptoms when they're 50 uh, and younger should take them seriously. So it's not to say that if people have rectal bleeding, it's likely to be a colon cancer. It's actually likely to be a hemorrhoid. But you should have it checked out, and your doctor insists that your doctor actually check it out and not just say that it must be a hemorrhoid and leave it at that. Uh, I think those are the two most important things relative to the study. In general, 
You want to live a healthy lifestyle. You want to eat a healthy diet, so not too much fat, not too much red meat. Um, you want a lot of fiber, fruits, and vegetables in the, your diet. You want to avoid a sedentary lifestyle, exercise, not get too ter- tremendously overweight, and, of course, don't smoke and don't drink to excess. Dr. Robert Madoff is our guest. He is a colon and rectal surgeon from the University of Minnesota. Of course, the study coming out from the American Cancer Society that the age that people are developing these cancers is increasing at about age 50, and that's when those screenings should be happening. Is there anything that stands out for you? I know you mentioned that it's happening more frequently in in white uh, men. Is there anything among those people that also stands out? No, really nothing, and um, it's not. Uh, it's just uh, white individuals. That's where the increase in the incidence and the death rate is in the people less than age 55. So this is a blip that we really don't understand. You know, we are increasingly seeing, we're increasingly aware of individuals that have positive family histories that uh, possibly have a genetic syndrome that can really increase their risk of colorectal cancer. So we increasingly pay attention to family history and act on it. Um, but that's, family history has been stable. It hasn't changed over the last 30, 40 years. So there's something new that seems to be driving this change in colon cancer and especially rectal cancer in younger people. We don't know what it is. Dr. Madoff, uh, we're getting some calls in, and I'm just going to try and relay this message and, and get your insight on it. For someone who maybe deals with irritable bowel syndrome and has been dealing with it for quite a while, and or even just someone who deals with um, food allergies or insensitivities, is there any connection between that and, and colon and rectal cancers? Absolutely not. So those are uh, irritable bowel syndrome is a functional syndrome. There's something wrong with the motility of the gut. It makes individuals quite symptomatic, but there's no connection between those symptoms and the development of cancer. The caveat with that is that you have to be sure that what you have is irritable bowel syndrome. So if your bowel habits all of a sudden are changing, uh, you need to be evaluated. You should not give yourself a diagnosis, and your doctor probably shouldn't just say, okay, this is new, but this must just be irritable bowel syndrome. If you've not been appropriately screened, that's the time to get it done if it hasn't been done already. Dr. Madoff, before I let you, let you go, just for all of our listeners who, you know, obviously this is something that everyone is concerned about, but there is a growing list of cancers that I think people are on the lookout for. What are some of the major symptoms that if someone, say, 30, 35, 40-year-old, they're experiencing that they should go in right away? Let me just start by saying that most of the symptoms that, that we worry about, uh, uh, rectal bleeding, changes in the bowel habit, bad constipation, most of those have a fully benign cause. Uh, so people shouldn't panic if they have symptoms, but they should absolutely get them evaluated. Most of the colon cancers we find nowadays, uh, very often at least, are asymptomatic. They show up because individuals have a low blood count that gets picked up on a routine exam, or they have a screening colonoscopy and we find a colon cancer. So I don't think that people have to be on particular alert for sudden changes in things. 
but I think they should be aware of that. And if something is wrong, bleeding, significant change in the bowel habit, they should talk to their doctor and get an appropriate evaluation. Is there a standard treatment plan or does it depend on each patient? Uh, For individuals with colon cancers, by and large, the treatment is to have surgery. And if the tumor has spread to the lymph nodes, uh, have chemotherapy afterwards. So that's fairly straightforward. For individuals that have cancer of the rectum, it's more complicated, and sometimes they're treated with chemotherapy or chemotherapy and radiation prior to having surgery. Uh, So uh, the treatment is individualized. Dr. Robert Madoff, thank you so much for joining us this evening. I really appreciate it. Nice talking with you, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. Your WCCO News Time brought to you by the McCarthy Auto World is 647 state fair savings up to $10,000 or 0% for 6 years on select GMCs at McCarthy Auto World in Coon Rapids. Welcome back to WCCO Radio on this Saturday night. A busy week in Minneapolis as the deadline to file in order to run for mayor of Minneapolis came and went and we've got 12 who have met the deadline to be on the ballot this November. WCCO political analyst Blois Olson is joining me now just for a, a quick catch up about everything that happened this week. You're more familiar with it than I am in in the history that we've had with just the rank voting. Is 12 candidates a lot? Because it seems like a lot to me. You know, I think it's Similar to four years ago, I think we may have had 15 or 16 My goodness. four years ago. But, you know, it is a lot of candidates. I mean, really, they become tiered, right? You have a top tier, you have a second tier, and then you have some gadfly candidates. But, you know, I look at this race as basically five serious candidates who any one of them here as we start to head into Labor Day and into October and November have a chance to be the next mayor of Minneapolis. And who are those five? You know, I think Betsy Hodges is obviously, as the incumbent, has a little bit of an edge. Jacob Fry, a city council member. Ray Dane, a state legislator. Nakima Levy-Pounds, obviously Black Lives Matters. There's a certain constituency there. And then Tom Hoke, who uh, ran the Hennepin Theater Trust and has been a civic leader in the town for quite some time. Um, those are really the five that I see, and those are the five that we're going to have the Sunday before Labor Day out at the State Fair for a mayoral forum. A great plug. I love that. Yeah, the State Fair starts this Thursday, and what I love about it is that so many people come through the booth. You know, I'm booking for the Chad Hartman show and, and for Rashini Rajkumar as well, and just the the number of politicians, former politicians, people of influence who are coming by, you know, even just off the top of my head on Chad's show, we're going to have R.T. Ryback, we're going to have Al Franken, hoping to get uh, Governor Dayton to stop by. Uh, Keith Ellison will be there as well. So it's a really great opportunity for people to be involved in that. And I think it's awesome that WCCO is going to have this uh, debate with some of the candidates for the mayoral race, because we're two weeks away from Labor Day. That gives what? two and a half solid months until the election. So what do these candidates need to do in the next coming weeks to really stand out? Well, I think that's just it, is all of them are going to try to stand out in their own way. I mean, Minneapolis being the largest city, it's our economic hub. A lot of people are watching that race, and I think there's a couple dynamics that are shaping up. One is Ray Dane has become kind of the protest candidate or the resistance candidate 
Bernie Sanders crowd has rallied around him. He proved he performed very well in the DFL endorsement. And the question is, are there supporters of him statewide, and could he break through? Betsy Hodges has had a tough first term. She's had the Jamar Clark shooting. She's had the Justine Damon shooting. Um, and so there's been some, you know, a lot of controversy around her first term. And then there's Jacob Fry, who lines up a little closer energy-wise, theme-wise, to an RT Ryback. Tom Hoke, who talks about a vibrant downtown. Um, and then, you know, I mean, Nikima Levy-Pounds, Black Lives Matters. How big is that voting block? How strong is it? Will they turn out on Election Day? And then you add in ranked choice voting, where voters one, two, three rank their top three choices. So what do they need to break through? I think they need to show that they're a leader. They need to have a vision for the city. And then, frankly, I think they need to boil it down to two or three or four things that they're going to do as mayor that really resonates with the people who are concerned about the city. WCCO political analyst Blois Olson, we really appreciate him checking in with us on this Saturday evening. You can catch him out at the State Fair, as we talked about. It's Sunday, September 3rd at 3 p.m., we're located Carnes and Underwood, and there will be, as he said, I think five of the mayoral candidates for the city of Minneapolis. This is the first time in a really long time, Jonathan, that I won't be voting in Minneapolis this November. That's because you have uh, you are not in Minneapolis, correct? I have moved to the suburbs. Yes, you are now in the burbs, like like me, and like probably half a lot of, the of people, people listening. Yeah, yes. But I will say, uh, the last time that I voted in the ranked choice, which. It was a little confusing. If you if you didn't do your homework, I was kind of picking people because of their names. Oh, the return of ranked choice voting. I I was telling you while the interview was being uh was being played here that I was here the night that they finished everything off and got everything put together and it was over 30 rounds of voting. 30 for all the candidates. Can we have just an on-air show meeting real quick? I think one of our guests is Oh, yes, I know. In. Okay. I, know. I, I, I see them coming. No, you're just fine. I just want to make sure that. Yeah, 30 plus rounds of voting. What is going I'm glad the number of candidates is at 12. That's all I got to say. Yes. 12 is somewhat manageable. But as, you know, Blois said, I think we'll get some of those people will start standing out. Let's run down the show. You know, it's my first time actually hosting here on WCCO Radio, and I kind of forgot that we should do that. These are the things you forget about when you're new. So first hour is done. Second hour, we're going to kick it off with Brady Gervais. She works over at Children's Minneapolis, and she's a close friend of mine, and we're going to talk about the Twin Cities Marathon and some fundraising efforts that are behind it that really benefit children's and something that I'm involved with and very passionate about. Then two people that I think are hilarious. I'm very active on social media. If you want to follow, it's at Lindsay Gensel. That's my Twitter handle. We're going to just talk about funny stories I, I found. I think it is, it's a, been a very serious week. A lot has happened. We'll get to that in the 8 p.m. hour. But I found some ridiculous stories and Colin Hummel and Patrick Donnelly, two people I enjoy immensely are going to join me in studio and we're just going to react. So if you want to join the conversation, there's two ways to do so. You can do it through the text line at 81807 or you can give us a call at 651-989-9226. Again, that's 651-989-9226. The text line 81807.
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 